Hello, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to this special Read All About It podcast series, The 12 Days of Bookless. Do you see what I did there? And here's what you can look forward to. 12 days, 12 guests and a whole host of great book recommendations as each guest chooses their favourite fiction and non-fiction read of 2020. Well, I also choose a book I've enjoyed reading this year. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about this special Read All About It podcast series. Hello and welcome to the 12 Days of Bookmas, this special podcast from the Read All About It podcast. And this is the first day of Bookmas, and I'm delighted that my guest on this first episode is the writer Katrina Child. So Katrina, welcome to the 12 Days of Bookmas. No pressure on being the very first person that is going to be on this podcast. I know, well, at least um, anybody will get better from here, won't they? I'll just go up from here. But thank you for having me back on. Now, you and I spoke earlier on this year on the Read All About It podcast, and obviously I just wanted to get your kind of take on your favourite fiction and non-fiction read of 2020. But obviously, circumstances we were able to meet face-to-face the last time we did the podcast, circumstances have changed. How have you found the last few months in terms of both uh, your reading, but also your writing and, and being able to do that, having to cope with a whole lot of different circumstances? Yeah, it's been very strange. I think we met just before it all kicked off, didn't we? Um, it's been very strange. I found it actually very difficult to read at first. I had just got four books out of the library when it all got announced and I, I couldn't read any of them. I, I tried each one in succession and they were all by like writers that I've read before and that I really love, like Ian Banks. And it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying them because if I don't enjoy a book, then I will maybe give up. But this was just, I just couldn't concentrate. I just couldn't focus. And I don't know, it was just this anxiety of everything that was going on. And I found it really difficult just to read, which was a bit frightening because that's never happened to me before. I've noticed a few people saying that, that because it obviously has circumstances that none of us have really ever had to deal with. And, you know, for some people, as you say, things that you would take for granted, the things that you would just do normally, you've maybe kind of just taken a wee bit of time to adjust. And we'll go on to talk about your favourite fiction and non-fiction book that we were kind of corresponding ahead of this. You mentioned, the book you mentioned is the first one you'd managed to finish during lockdown was uh, No Wonder I Take a Drink by Laura Marnie, who was also a previous guest on the podcast. Why do you think that one was the, the, the one that, that managed to get you back into the groove? I know, I'm not sure. I don't know if it was just, well, the title obviously jumped out at me, given what was going on around me. And I don't know if it was just because we were a couple of weeks into it by that point, And I was maybe just getting a bit more used to it and switching off from Twitter and the news a wee bit just to try and get some sanity. I mean, it's a really good book. It's really funny, really lighthearted. And I think that's maybe what it was as well. I, I don't know. I need to say thank you to Laura Marnie for getting my reading back on. But yeah, it was very strange. Now, in terms of your favourite fiction book that I'd ask you to choose for your favourite fiction read of 2020, and the, the one you've chosen is a classic, it's Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. And did you read this this one during lockdown and, or beforehand? And, and what was it about that that's kind of stood out this year? Yeah, I read, I read it during lockdown. I went from not being able to read at all to suddenly deciding to dive into Dickens. I read, I think, three Dickens books in a row. I woke up one morning and I'd had a dream that I'd bought Oliver Twist and I woke up just really wanting to read Oliver Twist <laughs> and then I, I went on to Tale of Two Cities. I'd never actually read it properly before. I know your listeners can't see this but my gran gave me this book when I was a kid, this like weird version of it, abridged version and it's got a picture of this guy getting led to the guillotine on the front of it um, and I was always fascinated by that as a kid. 
but I never actually read the proper adult full version before. So yeah, I read it and it was it was so good. It's so good. I mean, it's got all those classic. The first and the last lines are just classic lines that everybody knows, I think, even if you've not read the book. But just set against the backdrop of the French Revolution and just ordinary people caught up in these crazy circumstances, which is kind of like what we were all involved in, or we are still involved in this year. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. And that kind of sacrifice for love at the end, I think when I was reading it, I thought if I was a teenager reading this, I would have been madly in love with that character because that kind of sacrifice for love from this solitary brooding character, that would have just appealed so much to my kind of teenage sensibilities. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And what was the, you, you mentioned you'd read three in a row in terms of Dickens, what well, was yeah, the I read, top one? I read Bleak House. I read somewhere that Ian Rankin apparently reads that every year and I was like, oh, that's quite good going it took me a few weeks to get through it but yeah that was really good as well I really enjoyed it so I went on a bit of a, a Dickens speed. Um, Oliver Twist is still remains my absolute favourite I think and I think it's because that was the first one I read. Yeah I actually hadn't read that either until until lockdown I hadn't read that properly I, I grew up watching that musical so I, I kind of vaguely I knew the kind of sanitised version from that but reading the actual proper story because my dad always said to me, oh, you know, Fagin's not like that in the book. So it was, it was nice actually reading the proper version of it as well. Because that was the other thing about A Tale of Two Cities. It was actually quite frightening in places. I think Dickens was quite sympathetic to the reasons for the revolution happening. But at the same time, his descriptions of mob mentality and violence were actually quite frightening in, at, at places. And I remember my teacher uh, at school in history telling us that like, it sent this kind of shockwave around Europe at the time. And everybody was so scared that it was going to happen to them. And I think he, he captured that quite nicely. My history teacher also told me that during the French Revolution, it was much better to get your head chopped off at the start than the end because they didn't clean the guillotines. So by the end of it, they were all covered in all sorts of stuff and the blade wasn't working properly anymore. And that uh, little gem of information is always kind of stuck in my head for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> do, you have, do you have any plans to read any further at Dickens? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have read a few before. I read, I've read Great Expectations and I've, I had to read Dombiance on at university, which I absolutely hated at university. And I feel I need to go back and revisit that because it was this novel a week course that I did at university and you had to read these big, massive tomes in a week. And I just, Dombiance on so big that I didn't enjoy it at all because I was just trying to fly through it for the next class. Um, so I'd like to go back and read that again. I do tend to like enjoy most of them that I read though. I mean, I know he's, he's criticised for kind of his over sentimentality and things like that and his caricatures but I just really like all that and I always usually read a Christmas carol towards Christmas so I'll probably read that again in preparation yeah. for the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> so is that your favourite Christmas film then? I think it probably is my favourite Christmas film yeah yeah I really love it yeah my, my whole family loves that one actually I, yeah. For the this podcast the 12 Days of Bookmas I've asked each guest to choose their favourite fiction and non-fiction reader of 2020 and then I've also chosen a book uh, that I've enjoyed reading in 2020 and the one that I've chosen here is a book called Isle of Noises as in Isle an Island Isle of Noises by Daniel Rachel and it's Conversations with Great British Songwriters and this was a book that uh, Noel Gallagher recommended to me when I say Noel Gallagher recommended it to me I actually I was listening to his Desert Island Discs I think he, he recorded it maybe three or four years ago and that was the book that he chose that he would take to his desert island. And he's not a, a big reader. He famously hates fiction, doesn't read fiction, thinks it's absolute nonsense. And I actually used, when I wrote my Read All About It book, my year I tried to read more uh, literature, I did use his wee quote with the expletives about how rubbish he thought fiction was. I was quite interested to see what he would choose. But this book is it's basically it is Conversations with Great British Songwriters. Part of the reason he chose it was because he's one of the songwriters that's interviewed. 
Uh, it was published about 2013. So the guy has chosen maybe about 25 songwriters from Noel Gallagher, Johnny Marr, Paul Weller, Annie Lennox, Ray Davis, Joan Armour Trading, a whole variety of people. Gives them a wee profile of their whole career and then just asks them, goes into the kind of whole process of their creativity, how they, they you know, either specific songs or just in general where they get the songs from. Each of the, you know, the interviews, it's littered with, you know, some of the interviewees have given them obviously photographs of the you know, their original lyrics scrawled on bits of paper. And it's just absolutely fascinating, just that creative process. And obviously you start off by reading the people who, who I liked. For me, it was quite good. Ray Davis is the very first interviewee. And Sunny Afternoon, which was a kink song, was actually number one in 1966 when I was born. That's a good one, yeah, yeah it's really good. <laughs> the other thing about Ray Davis was uh, when I was in fourth year at school, our English teacher gave us Waterloo Sunset to study as a poem. And that just completely blew me away. He played the song on the tape as we looked at what we thought was a poem and then went through it and analysed it as a poem. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. One of those things that stayed with you. But the book itself, for anybody who is either creative as a writer or who loves music, it's just dead interesting of how people come up with you know, the idea for maybe some of your favourite songs. Yeah, I, well, I hadn't really heard of it until you mentioned it, but I, I was looking it up and, I mean, it includes loads of people that I really like, including Ray Davis. I love uh, the Kinks and like Damon Albarn and Jarvis Cocker. And yeah, it's, it sounds really interesting. I think the last interview in it is Laura Marling. And it's one of the, I think it was about 2013, it was probably, so it's one of those books, I think that whether David Rachel goes back, it, you know, there's a, another seven years worth of maybe other songwriters that would be even more contemporary or other great songwriters that would be fascinating to hear their stories as well. It always fascinates me listening to, you know, writers of, of books when some people tell you how the, the germ of an idea for a novel came about or, you know, the process of it. I find that endlessly fascinating and it's the same thing with songwriters. Yeah, how they get the ideas for the songs. Yeah, no, that's true. I was, what was I was listening to the other day and they were talking about the Paul McCartney writing a paperback writer and he was just sitting in the back of a taxi and thinking of a song to write and John Lennon was reading a book and suddenly paperback writer was born out of that. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And did, did you say you read it like from cover to cover or did you just dip into the ones you liked to start with? It's, it's a book, it's, it's, it's permanently at the side of my bed. So sometimes either if I'm in between books or... So, you know, sometimes you're maybe too tired in the book that you're reading because you really want to concentrate. You don't want to end up reading a chapter and then wake up the next day and think, I can't remember what it was I read. So sometimes it's just a good book to dip in and out. I read, it was kind of almost like that lineage of Ray Davis, Paul Weller, then Johnny Marr as well, whose autobiography is also fascinating about the whole idea of, you know, the process of songwriting, No Gallica and then others. And then I just sometimes say it's just a, it's a nice book just to dip in and out and just read a chapter and a few pages that's what I need to read. So it's it's a really, it's a great book just to have at this idea, bed. Yeah, no, it, it sounds right up my street. I think I'd find that really interesting. Yeah, definitely. The other thing I should say, obviously people will, will know if they've been following the podcast throughout the year, that, that Trackman, uh, which is obviously your novel, which is Music is at the Heart of It, was one of my one of my favourite books that I've read. Not not just this year, but I, you know, I mean, I did say to you at the time, it, I mean, it took me long enough from having got a copy when we did an event together to actually get around to reading it. And I'm so glad I did. And, you know, and a couple other people in the back of that have read it as well. And I think really enjoyed the experience as well. Thank you. And I tried to write a really terrible song in the middle of that. I, I'm not musical at all, but one of the characters in it or one of the people that Davey helps was in a band. So I wrote a really bad rock song in it, but obviously I can't put it to music. So I just wrote the lyrics. So I don't know if anybody out there would ever want to put it to music for me. 
I should say as, as well that people, obviously people who are listening to the regular We Don't About It podcast or the 12 Days of Book Mrs. Get It's Own We theme tune, those are songs written by a band called The Bookends, which is effectively me and a few pals. And the songs themselves, that's just the tune, but the, the songs themselves, I, I took Robert Louis Stevenson poems and turned them into music. Uh, I, I might one day actually put them out, just a podcast. Uh, I did one with my daughter, read the poem, uh, Where Go the Boats, and then the song was played. I just put that out recently. I'm, I'm rubbish at lyrics, but Robert Louis Stevenson was quite good for just giving me some lyrics. That's actually one of those other books that my gran gave me when I was a kid was Child's Garden of Verses, like a big annual-sized hardback of them. And yeah, they are. They're, they're really lovely. The non-fiction book that you've chosen is At the Loch of the Green Corrie by Andrew Gregg, which, again, for anybody who, who's read it will know it. It's just one of the most beautiful, wonderful books I think you'll ever read. And for anybody who hasn't read it, as you're going to tell them, you have to read this book. Yeah, no, that's true. It was you that recommended it to me, actually. And um, again, I read it over lockdown and I, I just thought it, yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. I mean, some of the description in it is just gorgeous. There was the mist's chalk duster was just lovely all these little images and there was certain paragraphs that I just had to stop and read maybe two or three times just just to kind of savour it almost because I felt I, I wanted to read it and I kept reading it and I was going through it too fast I, I was like I need to slow down and just take this in because it's just so beautifully written it's hard to describe it just weaves in so much so much stuff in his life and people that have gone before and just the landscape around him and it's just it's just a lovely book because the basic premise is it's Norman McKeg the poet kind of sets on this almost quest before he dies to say, if you get a chance, go to fish at the lock of the green quarry and, and try and catch a fish for me. And he says it's up near Assen. And, and so Andrew Gregg, it's almost this quest to find the lock of the green quarry. But then, as you say, he brings in all sorts of different aspects of his life, of the country, of the landscape. And he writes so descriptively and it's quite, quite mesmerising at times. It's almost kind of hypnotic. I, I felt really melancholy at times reading it as well. And I don't know I think I would have felt that anyway, but I think it was kind of heightened by the fact that I was reading it at a time where I couldn't see my own family. I was stuck in my house and um, we'd actually booked a holiday to Mull, which is one of my, my favourite places. And we'd had to cancel it because we couldn't go. And I was just I was just hankering to go somewhere and see the sea and see the scenery and not be stuck in this estate with just houses outside. And then also it was around about the time where we the kind of we started to open up a bit and people were going on holiday in Scotland and I was getting really grumpy at people because they were calling it a staycation and they were saying, Oh, I can't believe how beautiful Scotland is and the staycation and I'm like, It's not it's like a holiday. If you leave your house it's a holiday and it's beautiful like our holidays for my family have always been in Scotland. So for me, like Scotland is holidays and I was just getting grumpy at these people and especially the people who then went kind of wild camping and left a big mess everywhere and weren't looking after it and I was also really jealous because I was just wanted to to go to Mull and see the scenery and so I think reading that kind of heightened my feelings for it when I was reading it but also it mentioned um, Ian Crichton Smith so that's why I was trying to get my dad to read it because he was actually taught English by Ian Crichton Smith when he was at Open High School and and I was thinking, I've never actually asked my dad what it was like to be taught by him. And I, I think I was thinking all these things because I couldn't actually see people and speak to them properly. And, I, and then obviously with what was going on, I was thinking, oh, God, these are the questions that you wish you'd asked. So I was then texting my dad to ask him what it was like to be taught by Ian Crichton Smith. I think he was like, well, what are you asking me that for? <laughs> Where did that come from? So, And in terms of Andrew Gregg, I, I don't know if you have any, I don't think you necessarily have to have any interest in golf. At all, I don't know if you do. He wrote a book called uh, Preferred Lies, and it was basically following a serious illness he had. He decided to you know, get back into golf and travelled around 18 golf courses in Scotland. 
on his road to recovery. And it's partly about him reconnecting with golf, but it's more about just the fact of almost the kind of celebration that he's still alive when John Lundin's purposes he shouldn't have been there. Again, his writing's so beautiful because it's about family, it's about living, it's about Scotland as well and some of the places he goes to see. And I think even without any great love of golf, if you've enjoyed his other writing, I think you would enjoy that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't have any great interest in fishing either, but somehow, <laughs> it, I mean, it was more than that, wasn't it? So I think I would, I would read that even though I'm not that interested in, in golf either. When, when I was reading it, it struck me, I kept thinking, oh, I wish you'd taken photos of that. But then after I'd finished it, I was like, no, actually, it works better without the photos because I think photos never actually do justice to these places, especially these places that mean something to you in your head. And I think it's not just the place, it's the people that you're with at the time and and what you did at the time. And you you can't recreate that in a photograph. So afterwards, I was thinking, no, actually, it's better without the photos. Actually, it's your mind's eye kind of that creates the power of it, I think. And and one of the places I've never been up really to Aston. It's one of those, you know, and particularly when you read, or, or the, the person I've spoken to has been up there, it, it sounds really beautiful, but also it, it's almost like that kind of connection of, not, not just with the country, but almost, you know, it's like, it's got some of the oldest rock formations in the history of humanity, so it's kind of telling the story of Earth in a way, it's kind of, I like that idea of just almost going back, almost taking a step back in time. Yeah, I know. The bit where you talked quite a lot about the kind of geology and stuff, a lot of it, I was like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm keeping up with you here. This is almost going over my head a little bit. But uh, yeah, that that was really fascinating. And I think I've kind of always been interested in, in that kind of melancholy idea of people, just us being on the planet, but these things, the hills and the mountains and everything, they, they just outlive us. And, and I remember going to a holiday home that I'd been to with my grandparents and we went back a few years later and we didn't actually go into it. We just drove past it to remind ourselves of what it was. And I remember thinking, God, that house is still standing and my grandparents aren't here anymore. And it's such a strange thing that this house, and it doesn't actually really mean anything now because it, it was just us being in that house for the holiday that means the thing. And it's not the actual bricks and of the house, but the house is still standing there and, and they're, they're not here anymore. So that whole kind of, yeah, that passing of time and absent friends, it, yeah, it really kind of struck a chord with me when I was reading it. Again, when we were corresponding before doing this podcast, as well as mentioning the first book that you managed to complete in lockdown, you also mentioned another book called Ramble Book by Adam Buxton. I was really interested because you'd said it was the first audio book that you've ever kind of listened and, and, and finished. And I was wanting to know what that experience was like, because it's not something that I've, I've ever really dipped my toes into yet. I've always thought that I wouldn't be able to really concentrate on an, an audiobook. I think this one helped a lot because he narrated it and he does his podcast, his Adam Buxton podcast, and I just love him. I think he's brilliant. Been a huge fan of Adam and Joe since I was a teenager and their TV show and then their sex music show. So I've just always followed Adam Buxton. And I had tickets to go and see him on his book tour at the start of the year. And obviously it all got cancelled and then the hardback got pushed back. And so the only way you could actually hear the book was to listen to the audio version. So, so I did that. And it, it was good. It was really strange. I mean, I did get the book eventually and read it when it eventually came out about six months later. But I think because he was reading it and it was similar to his kind of rambling style of chat on his podcast. I don't know. It wasn't the same as probably listening to an audio book, like, like something like Dickens or something. I think I'd find really difficult to listen to an audio book. But I really enjoyed that and kind of feels like a friend, even though I don't know him, just because I listen to him in my ears when I'm at work and things like that. So it was a nice, friendly voice to hear when you're going through some kind of horrible times. In terms of, obviously, that's, hopefully that's you, you're back at kind of the rhythm of reading. What, what about the writing? How have you found that over the last year? Because obviously, again, that creates different challenges because people are working from home. There's all different sorts of things going on. Have you been able to do any writing at all? 
I've not done very much. It's been quite difficult. I've kind of been homeschooling and doing my own day job and things. But I, I managed to write a kind of short story, which was I felt like a huge achievement. And I don't think it's a particularly good short story, but it was one of these things where I wrote it and it probably needs a lot of work done to it. But I was like, well, at least I've achieved something. I've written something. But I guess the most exciting thing for me is that I've kind of had this grain of an idea for a, a novel kind of forming. And I think I've actually been able to think about that and focus on that. I've not started writing it yet but I'm almost at the stage where I think I'll just need to start writing it so I think in some ways it's been good for me because I've been kind of writing this novel in my head for the last sort of few months and hopefully it'll come out on the page. Because that's interesting you saying that because I remember I'm sure it was Kirsten Innes when she was on the podcast and said it was either during the writing of Scabby Queen or even before she started she would I think certainly one of her kids was just a baby and she would just take him out and, and just go out walking and as, as you say she's she's you're thinking about the novel in your head, which is probably an underrated process. It's not just a case sometimes of just sitting down in front of a, a laptop and starting. Sometimes you, you're almost kind of having to formulate the ideas in your head, which is really beneficial if you can do that. Yeah, and no, I think so. I think the only danger point is in my head I've written this amazing book and then <laughs> it's not it's not going to be like that when I actually come and write it on the page. But yeah, I definitely do think you need that thinking time. And Sometimes I feel a bit like I'm procrastinating because I'm not writing, but I think it is a, a vital part of the writing process is to have that thinking time. And going out for walks is one of the things that we did every day in lockdown. Like we're going out for a daily walk and dragging the kids out. You're going out for a walk today. So it does give you a lot of thinking time to, to go over things in your head like that. So yeah, hopefully that's been a benefit of it all. What I did actually do is we started writing a diary in lockdown. I made my whole family start a diary. And it was um, what we've done today and how we're feeling today for every day of the lockdown. And it's not the most riveting read because we didn't do very much. We did PE with Joe Wicks and we went for a walk and that was about it probably for most days. But the how we were feeling is maybe a good insight into, I think my kids every day put awesome, happy, brilliant. <laughs> and then me and my husband were like exhausted, tired, <laughs> fed up, angry. So um, I think it'd be quite interesting to read that back in maybe a year or two and see how we felt, yeah, during lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. Yeah, it was just to try and document it because there was all these people talking about time capsules and everything. And I thought, oh, it's just, how are we feeling, us ordinary family during this? Like, how, what are we going through? Well, we are almost at the end now of the first of the, the 12 days of Bookmas. Thanks for giving us your, your book choices, Katrina, and to say hopefully the new year this uh, great novel that's floating about in your head will we'll start to take shape. We'll look forward to seeing it at some point. Uh, oh, I hope so. Thank you for having me back on. It's been really good, yeah, really good reflecting over what I've been reading this year. Thanks for listening to the 12 Days of Bookness, a special Read All About It podcast series that is so special it even has its own theme tune. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, which will help other book lovers find us. And I hope you can join me, Paul Cuddy, on the next episode. In the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.